Hey friends, welcome to the Rhythms for Life podcast, where each week we talk about four rhythms that help you reduce stress and anxiety and take charge of your emotional health. Rest, restore, connect, create. These ideas come from Rebecca's best-selling book, Rhythms of Renewal, trading stress and anxiety for a life of peace and purpose. So grab your copy, invite your friends, and let's live in rhythm. Welcome back. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Gabe. And what a week. What a weekend. It was a lot of um, just wonderful things. And some of you might be aware of if gathering this last weekend, it was the ninth annual one that and I was so fortunate to be able to share um, from the just how to build a resilient life to that community and the five rules of resilience, which we're going to continue to get into in this season. So I'm really excited about that. Well, this is your new book coming out May 2nd, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning. And so, yeah, you were sharing. It's really one of the first times you were yeah. sharing these five rules, and I know it got quite a response. Yeah, it was it was beautiful. And the, and the beauty of like talking about adversity is you can't not get a little teary because um, I think a lot of us would acknowledge that these last couple of years have have had the highs and the lows, you know, the fullness yeah. of it. And the beauty that I am experiencing through now, not only writing this message, but trying to find language to articulate it in real time, it's just this idea that adversity awakens. Yeah. It awakens longing, it awakens desire, it awakens um, what we're made of and what's worth fighting for. And more than ever, I feel like that's very clear in these days. Well, I'm one of the few guys that tunes in to If Gathering each year because we've known Jenny and Zach for a long time. And, and I've always appreciated really a prophetic kind of voice and witness that happens during that gathering but it i couldn't help but notice i mean so many of the presenters were talking about adversity they were they yeah. were sharing vulnerably a lot of difficulties they've walked through the last couple of years in ways that you don't always hear like yeah. lots of times people are covered up it's it feels like you're seeing the best version they were very focused on like no we're going to reveal some of our challenges which continues to point to how do we become resilient? Yeah, it reminds me of Paul. I don't boast in my strength. I boast in my weakness so that Christ's um, strength would be made perfect through me, that that he would be getting the glory. And I, I, I know some of you, many of you listened to Christy Knuckles in my conversation last week and how she was saying that 2020 wasn't the year that took her out. It was, it was the year after that. And sometimes we don't really know what the wake of adversity will leave us in our lives. I think we all look back at 2020 like that was a hard year, but it's been the subsequent years where there's been a little bit of like shifting and seismic shifting in some of us and even vocationally like finding our voice again finding our legs to stand up and that's there's a chapter in this book called what is resilience really and uh, we actually have that available as a free download in the link um, in the show notes because it took me a long time about a year and a half of studying this idea of resilience because it's so common in the neuroscientists, like psychiatric field of like, we need to be people of resilience, but instead we were people in 21 and 22 that were languishing. We were, we were struggling. We were trying to find our legs again. And so that chapter, what is resilience really was me owning, owning what I had lost and, and finding words to kind of have that conversation with God in a very honest, tangible way. And by doing that, I found 
my strength. I found the awakening and I'm so much more alive in my vocation than I've been in years, quite frankly. And it took that adversity to kind of really go back to the heart of where this all began, of why this felt like an invitation from the Lord to follow Him and to start ministering out of a place of purity. And it's just been such a thrilling thing. So yes, I'm excited y'all are here and I'm excited you're here to talk about adversity because while we want to run from it, it is the very thing that actually brings us back to life. And you can download and read all about your definition of resilience, which is, I know for so many people, has been very eye-opening in how they approach and even think about this subject by going to rebeccalines.com slash rlbook. That's where you actually get to take advantage of several of the free gifts that you're going to receive when you pre-order the book, anywhere books are sold. So check that out. Um, and today we're, we're going to hear the story of someone whose life has literally been built around embracing adversity. Yes. He's built a resilient life because he has faced so many challenges from the time he was born. His name's Scott Hamilton. Many of you may have heard of this name. You'd recognize him if you ever watched the Winter Olympics. He's always there commentating on the ice skating because he himself was the winner of the gold medal in 1984 um, and has really lived through not only a journey where he athletically accomplished so much, but now in the last couple of decades, he's been 25 years of a survivor of being diagnosed with cancer, something that so many of us walk through and understand happens more now than it ever has. His story of resilience is going to encourage you. It's going to lift you up. I want you to think of other people right now that you know are a bit discouraged. Maybe they're walking through this health crisis in their own life, and they're not sure how to keep taking steps forward. You can't help but hear the story of Scott Hamilton and be inspired. Yeah, he is one. I mean, of anyone that I wanted on this podcast, he was at the top of the list because he is so joyful. I mean, he has just lives a life of abundance and overcoming, and yet it has been a result of the adversity confronting him head on, and then with God's strength, he just he doubles down. <laughs> and I've watched him through the years. I mean, we've been friends with he and Tracy for a long time, and it's not just a public thing. Like this is very much a private, fortified faith that we've been able to watch as his friends. And I'm so excited for you to hear what he has to share. He's wonderful, he's entertaining, but he's gut-level honest. And so listen in here. Thanks to Pine Cove Summer Camps for supporting the Rhythms for Life podcast. Pine Cove is excited to bring over 50 years of camp ministry experience to their newest overnight youth camp in Georgia, The Springs. Joy has loved her camp experience at Pine Cove the past few years because they're trustworthy, they're fun, they greet her in the parking lot, they are the best counselors, they check in with her, and she looks forward to this every single year. Pine Cove is Christ-centered, it's others-focused, and seriously fun. Summer after summer, each child will not only hear the gospel, they will see it lived out all around them through the staff and the intentional camp activities. The second reason is their college summer staff are amazing. They are the best role models you will definitely want your kids to be around. They don't just watch the campers from afar to make sure everyone stays safe, but they actually invest in the spiritual and personal growth of every single child. Their influence reaches far beyond camp. Your child will be seen, known, and loved at camp. And finally, Pine Cove offers a safe place of belonging and community where campers often say they feel free to be themselves without judgment for the very first time. And campers have this community as well as a shared foundation of gospel truth. So check out pinecove.com springs and use the code rhythms 250 for $250 off a first time overnight youth camp registration at Pine Cove. Again, rhythms 250 for $250 off your first time overnight youth camp registration at Pine Cove. 
I promise you, your kids will love it. Welcome to the podcast, Scott. We're so excited that you're here. I love you guys. Well, listen, <laughs> so the con- I mean, for- <laughs> I have so much respect for you, you know, and as individuals and as a couple and everything that you do for those around you, your community. And, and well, we just, we just love you guys. It's so mutual. Well, so I know. You Thank guys you. are just rock stars. So in our fun. Butt, for yeah, sure. I mean, Scott, for people, people recognize you. They, they know that you've won an Olympic gold. In fact, today. When we're recording this. This is a big mm-hmm. deal. This is a 39 year anniversary. Yeah, you figured yes. that. I thought it was 38, but you figured out it was 39. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you said right now. Right now, I'd be on the, the press press conference. conference. Yeah. yeah. So Sarajevo. instead of talking yeah. to them, you're talking to us. Yeah, I know. You it's kind of cool. Back to a press conference. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So how did it feel? <laughs> but I think surreal. Listen, I mean, surreal. It's, it is cool to these moments that mark uh, a moment in your life mm-hmm. that was such an accomplishment and yeah. achievement. And most people don't know the backstory. And that's why we wanted to talk with you because your story has been one of overcoming adversity time and time again. And this started really from the moment you were born. And yeah. no one gave you a chance. Nobody would have ever believed. No, everything is so unlikely. It's like, that's the only word you can say is it's very unlikely well, a, that I was born because um, single mom, young, uh, no dad on the birth certificate, uh, none of that, you know, it's just sort of like she brought me to the world. And, you know, you know, think about that. It's like 1958. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that was a time I imagine of incredible shame of an unintended pregnancy. And where do you go? What do you do? You know, it's just like, so um, I always am really grateful that I was brought into the world as I was and instantly put up for adoption. And, and uh, I, I learned today, actually, because I always ask if there's any other adopted people in, mm-hmm. when I do a speech. And one woman raised her hand. And afterwards, because I always talk about, it's like, you know, it, it took six weeks for me to get, like, parents. It's like, mm-hmm. that's, like, you go into a puppy store, and if a puppy's been in there six weeks, there's something wrong with a puppy, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's oh. like, and she said, no, 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 if there's no father listed, then they have to list it in the paper. Wow. And they have to uh, give the dad an wow. opportunity to know what's going on. Wow. Right. Okay. So I go, question answered. So that was a piece you got to put story. it out there. Wow. It's right? true. And then it's like, oh, okay. So I, I wasn't like the ugly baby that nobody wanted. You know, oh. it was kind of. Yeah. They had to go through that, the process. Yeah. But goodness. Isn't that wild? So, um, yeah. So adopted and then, um, you know, get into this family. And it was. I had such a fun childhood, you know, it was just activity and, and they let me go again. And I, a lot of it is when I, you know, I do one of my talks, I just say, you know, with birth children, there's, you know, there's some level of expectation because the genetics involved. It's like, they're going to look like me. They're going to act like me. They're going to have the interests I have. They're going to have the talents that I have. When you have an adopted child, it's just kind of, you're like, you stare at them until something rises to the surface, you know? (laughs) And and for me, it was just activity. I was just go, 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 go. But um, I wasn't growing and I wasn't developing properly. And I was really showing some signs of stress. And so, um, you know, I, it was kind of like those next four years were in and out of hospitals mm. and, and a lot of, a lot of nights in the hospital, just waiting on the next test and waiting on the results of the next test. And one thing after another, after another, after another. So it, um, it, it's been remarkable to kind of go back and think about all of that. And yeah. when did you first realize that you could have a talent at ice skating? Well, I mean, I was always, the littlest one in my class, I was sick all those years. Um, and so I was sort of, you know, like a, like a, almost like a non-kid in my class. And so um, when 
but our family physician sort of had an intervention and said, you need to get on the ice. Like you need to get in, on, over to the ice arena. They have a new program. Give my parents a morning off. They need to rest and rehabilitate and re, you know, just restore because mm-hmm. the four year, the four year journey was really debilitating on the marriage. It was hard on us um, financially. It was hard in every way possible. Mm. And so they get, you just need to reboot, relax, recharge. And this was how me going to the rink every Saturday morning from mm. eight to noon. And it was there that I just sort of started understanding that I could do something as mm. well as well kids. Did that surprise you? It did. It was a great equalizer. Sure. And it was really cool. The attention that I got at the rink wow. and the fact that um, they pulled me out of sort of the learn to skate and they got me, you know, you need to be in private lessons. You need to be, because wow. you, they you saw the potential. Ab- huh? They saw some ability, but you know, it, it was several weeks in where I realized that I could skate as well as the best athlete to my grade. Mm. And yeah. all of a sudden I was just like, First taste of self-esteem. Yeah. First taste of self-esteem is really powerful for anyone, yes. for everyone. You'll never forget that. Because, well, I mean, it. if you feel good about yourself, it allows everybody else to, mm. right? Yeah. And I, I see so many people that are just so kind of like always hurting, you know, just putting themselves down and just diminishing themselves. And, and in that, you know, it creates an environment where it's really hard for people to, you know, really get in there and just, you know, share yeah. and, and get excited with yeah. you, mm-hmm. you know? So I always tell people, you know, it's like you have a purpose, t- tap into it, and then just wear it out. Hmm. <laughs> I love did, it. Did your smaller stature help you in this sport? I think it did. You know, honestly, I, I think um, for for whatever reason, I was supposed to be taller, maybe, you know, 5'8", something like that. You know, both my sons are going to be 5'10". Hmm. So maybe somewhere around in there. How maybe. tall are you? I'm 5'4". Uh, but I, I didn't grow for like three or four years. Mm. You know, I, I had spurts after that where things started happening again, but they can't really explain any of it. They, they never diagnosed it back then. Yeah. They didn't really have any technology. Mm. You know, when you think about um, healthcare in the 60s, yeah. mm-hmm. it was like, uh, they didn't have any diagnostics. They didn't have any, you know, any like MRIs or CT scanners or anything like that. It was just sort of a guess. Yeah. And so- um, you know, that some of the tests they, they gave me were really sort of barbaric. They, one time they, they strapped this spool of string onto my shoulder and they weighted the string and they had me swallow it because they wanted to know if it would, I had an obstruction wow. like in my intestines. Oh my God. And then some little boy got his, um, his toy airplane stuck in my string, you know, oh and they thought goodness. I did it. So they put me in a straight jacket for three days. Stop it. it was, it was just, you know, it was just weird and funny. But when you're a little kid, that's kind of your reality. Yeah. You don't think about it too much. Yeah. And then um, that test didn't really do anything, obviously. And and so I had every symptom of a, a disease called Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome. And Dr. Schwachmann um, was my physician. Okay. So we figured we're in the best place possible. This is our fourth year into this thing. And then at the end of our time with him, he said, you don't have Schwachmann-Diamond syndrome. You have every symptom of it, but you don't have mm. the disease. So we can't treat you with any, because we don't know what's going on. So he just said, go home, live a normal life and just see if you grow out of this thing. Mm. Wow. And that's when I started skating. And then once I started skating, I started developing a little bit and, um, I started growing and I started, I'm just kind of getting my health back. Well, the resilience that, I mean, I think about you in a straight jacket, you know, Mm -hmm. as a child Yeah. and just all the ways mentally that you had to overcome these circumstances that, were really thrust upon you. 
how did you mentally, as you look back now, I mean, how, how did you work your way through all of this adversity to develop this confidence to be an overcomer? I, I, I think all of it builds muscle in some way, you know, everything builds muscle. So if you look at, you know, anytime there's any sort of uh, pushback, right. You're, mm. you're getting, yeah, you have to get stronger. Yeah. Right? That resistance training. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All of it. Right. Yeah. So anytime you go through something, it, you're, it creates a familiarity and it mm. makes you a little bit stronger. Mm. So mm. I look back on those years and I think they taught me how to be okay with being on my own mm. and working it out. Mm. So when you step on the ice by yourself on a 185 by 85 sheet of ice and you got to work it out and you got knives strapped to your feet and you got to like, you know, <laughs> shake it, don't break it and try to get as many marks as you can. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like game on. So yeah. when you're a little kid and you're used to kind of being in those situations and stressful situations and you realize that, you know, kind of this too shall pass. Yeah. You know, it, mm -hmm. it really allows you to kind of step into and, you know, but for all those years, I was really good regionally. I was kind of average sectionally. Mm. And then nationally, I was an epic disaster. Mm. <laughs> I was hey. so bad. I was so bad. I, I didn't really know how to train because where I started skating, they didn't really have skating. They were just sort of figuring out as they went along. We had good coaches out of the gate, but they left. And then college students stepped in. And then another coach came in. And it was just... It was just sort of like coaching by committee, and it mm. was never really being in a program. Okay. Where here's how we get you to the promised land. Yeah. We are. I'm a coach that has taken somebody from their first steps to the Olympic. You know, it would not it wasn't any of that. It was like college kids half mm. the time. Wow. So you know, once you get to a training center and you go, oh wow, this is way different than anything I've ever been used to before, and you start to get to those levels where you're now competing on the national level you now it's you got to really be trained in a different way mm. and i i hadn't built that muscle yet mm -hmm. and how hard was that when you finally got a real resource of getting you to that level it, it did, was a choice did, was that was that like did you kind of feel like okay I, i've got just enough to keep going that resistance yeah, yeah. It was training gap and now is just a lot more intense yeah it was just enough to keep going yeah right and my parents saw something in me and again i'd win constantly regionally regionally i was like the guy i never lost a regional competition hmm. but i get to the sectionals again that's now they they this the nation is chopped into nine regions and three regions are a section mm -hmm. and three sections are a nation right mm. so it's kind of cut up that way mm -hmm. um but it you know it was they, nobody really knew anything was going on i just felt like i was the last place guy mm. like i always was the last place guy. was that a mental thing no, it was just something that I, I knew my place. Okay. I was mm -hmm. the last place guy. So I get to nationals and I'd be ninth, ninth. And then my first year on the junior level, I was seventh. I beat two guys. And I joke that those guys must have been really embarrassed. And then the next year, I had a different coach who was scary and mean and rough. Mm -hmm. And I just, he scared me to death. So I just did whatever he told me to do. And, and, um, I got to the nationals and I won junior wow. nationals. Yeah. But the crazy thing about that was my, my mom had just had her left breast, the inside of her left arm removed for cancer. And she was at the nationals with a big smile on her face. She always had a big smile on her face. And I thought it was like the drugs that she was on, you know, or whatever, just <laughs> to keep her okay. And no, she, um, she had an ace up her sleeve. On the way to that nationals, me, last place guy, on the way to the nationals, um, she met a couple 
very wealthy couple in Chicago that loved skating, didn't have any kids, and uh, wanted to sponsor me. Mm. Wow. And so I had a, a next life in skating, and she yeah. knew it all along. I didn't know it. Wow. Dude, while so you were skating, did you didn't know? I didn't know. When she you said, won we'll, first? we'll talk when you're done. Really? Yeah. That's exciting. Did she tell you she had anything like good news? Nothing. Nothing. You no. had no idea? She goes, you skate, we'll talk when you're done. So what? there was something different for you mentally on that one, obviously. I was you more didn't prepared. You didn't probably walk in going, I'm last place guy. No, this time I just started landing my first triple. Okay. But I'm looking at these other guys and I think they're way better than me. I'll never beat the, I'll never, I, you know. But I learned the year before, the year that I came in seventh, there was a guy that, you know, already was, you know, had hired the guy to etch his name on the trophy. Oh, <laughs> right? wow. Yeah, you know, I'm, it's mine, right? I'm going to win. Yeah. And there was this other guy who looked and said, well, we'll see about that. And the we'll see about that guy won. Wow. Mm. And the other guy was like going, what just happened? This was huh. mine. How did I not win? And so that kind of planted a seed saying, it ain't over till it's over. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I guess I went in thinking I could probably do better this year, but I never thought I'd win. Wow. And then when I won, it became this this sort of momentum thing into my first sure. year in seniors. But um, that... Uh, I call it the trifecta. Yeah. Well, okay, here's the trifecta. Okay. Because you're in that season it. right now. Yeah, tell me. Turned 18. <laughs> I'm away from home in my, my first apartment, and I'm totally sponsored. Uh, yeah, right? <laughs> I mean, that does feel like a triple threat right there. It, no, it's definitely a triple threat. <laughs> I don't even know how I made it to nationals that year, but um, I fell so hard in the first minute of the program that I couldn't feel my right leg the rest of the Wow. Like, and then, so I came in ninth again. I was kind of back to being last place guy. Wow. And and this is where the the fork in the road happened, right? Mm -hmm. So um, it was right after that nationals. Um, that would be the last time my mom would see me skate. Mm -hmm. It was right after that nationals that um, my mom succumbed to cancer. And she was the center of my universe. And I just, um, in a long walk in my backyard by myself, um, I just decided that I never was the person that I was supposed to be when she was alive. Mm. And mm. Um, now it's on me to make it right. Mm. To, and I, and so I, I vowed to take her with me to the ice every single day. Wow. So I did. I took her with me on the ice every single day. I was very accountable to her. And, um, and the next year I was third in the country and 11th in the world. And then two I years after that, I was on the Olympic team. I, I love how you are giving us all those details because I think so many people think in this idea of building a resilient life that it's just like up and to the right if you're making all those right decisions and or thinking the right way. And as you know, obviously, there's all these outside circumstances that you had no say in, whether your mom's cancer, mm -hmm. um, the brevity of life, of her life, of of you having to be sick for four years and um, just kind of watching that. I mean- it's just remarkable how you still kept going forward and even doing like that next season out of honoring her, uh, like just having something, some purpose even beyond skating that you would look to and go, I'm going to bring her here. Do you feel like that was kind of the tipping point for what the next season looked like? Or I know there's more to your story. So yeah, no, it was, yeah. it was, there was a lot. I mean, she was always kind of the centerpiece to all of it. You know, she really, um, drove everything, you know, but it got to a point where, um, you know, you put yourself in a position for good things to happen. 
and you, you hope that good things happen. I always thought, you know, it was funny. Uh, the first when I first got into public speaking, I wrote a speech that was called um, "Blessing versus Curse," mm. right? And I always thought that for every good thing that ever happened to me, something bad was on the heels of it. Oh wow! So right, I get adopted and then I get sick. Right? Yeah. I find skating and I terrible. Right. Mm. And then I lose my mom and I, you know, it's like, it's all these different things. And, and then I got to a point where, when we're getting into the next part of it, cancer, where I'm diagnosed with cancer and I'm at this cancer survivor celebration. Oh my God. Mm. And I'm to be the speaker at this cancer survivor celebration. And I see this little girl stand up and she, she lost her leg to cancer as a student athlete in Mm. high school. Mm. And she said, the worst thing that ever happened to me was cancer. Everybody just nodded their head and she goes, but I'm here to tell you the best thing that ever happened to me was cancer. Hmm. And something just like something fell out of the sky and just hit me on the head. And it's like, you know, change the order mm-hmm. for every bad thing that's ever happened to you. Something great was on the other side Yeah, because you chose that. Hmm. And it's like, you chose that. Hmm. So step into that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I see, you know, so much suffering in our world and it's all caused by different things, different events in people's lives, different, um, different things that they feel like they have to deal with that aren't fair or aren't right, but it's stepping into the good stuff, like stepping in, just being brave enough to kind of just say, you know, I'm just going to take a a little bit of a risk here Mm -hmm. and just put myself out there. And if it doesn't work out, Maybe I'll try it again. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll just keep trying until it does work out, you know? Yeah. And it's funny because um, in this talk I did, um, like, they asked me to do a TED Talk um, in Nashville. I'm the dumbest guy to ever do a TED Talk. And um, they just, I go, what do you want me to talk about? And they go, anything. I go, can you narrow it down? To, like, just give me a lane. <laughs> yeah. Go, anything. And the only thing that the Lord would let me talk about was suffering. Mm. Because it's, and I looked on Ted to make sure that I wasn't going to plagiarize anybody. <laughs> so I went to Ted and I said, suffering. Do you realize not one person had talked about suffering? Oh, wow. Hmm. Wow. Not one. And, yet, and it's yes. something we all, all experience. We all, all ex- the time. <laughs> no, constantly. Yes, I right? know. And so I just said, okay, I guess I'm supposed to talk about this. And so I created this talk. And at the end of it, um, there was this this kind of this meant this visual picture in my mind where when you come into a period of suffering, it's a fork in the road, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's that old, when you get to the fork in the road, take it, right? No, yeah. it's, it's not that. It's like, it's not a left or right fork. It's an up or down fork, right? So if you're looking at that fork in the road like this, now you have three choices. You can succumb, just let it take you, surrender to it and allow your life to become whatever that mm. lesser thing is. Yeah. You can adapt. You can just stay right there at the fork and not go up or down. <laughs> just stay right there mm. and just live. Stagnant. Just yeah, right there. Or you can start climbing. Wow. And the climb thing is mm. really fun. <laughs> it's hard, but it's really fun. Yeah. Like wow. when I was diagnosed with cancer, it's like I'm 50 cities into a 60 city tour. I took incredible pride that I never missed a show. Mm. Except when I broke my foot, like year one. <laughs> but um, since then, I've been like a warhorse, right? I'm going to get out there. And I'm going to, no matter what. Mm. And now I have cancer and I have to take the last 10 shows off, mm-hmm. plus the 12 in Canada. And I was, I said, okay, what is my carrot? I'm going to be back on tour next year. 
Mm-hmm. So I have four months of chemotherapy and a 38 staple surgery. Now I have a seam in my abdomen. Mm. Oh, this is going to be tough. Let's get to work. Mm. <laughs> it was wow. so worth it. Yeah. Man, that mentality. It was so worth it. To, yeah. to just, like you said, with the fork that's flipped, that you're going to embrace the adversity. You're going to start climbing. to climb. Yes. And what's on the other side of that? I mean, what I've watched is a life lived so well with so much joy. You bring so much hope to so many people. I mean, that's why you speak all over the world. I mean, is, you said the climb is fun. It yeah. is fun. Not not everyone <laughs> would start that way, right? No, but, but you're like, once it's you, fun. It, again, it's just start building it. muscle. And it's like the best I ever skated in my life was 10 years after. Hmm. 10 years after wow. my Olympic gold. 10 years after I'm at this pro competition. And I'd worked so hard. Let's just say I was sore to the point where I could barely walk for seven months. Wow. Wow. And then all at once, like I couldn't land a jump. I couldn't land like a single axle. I was so like hurting. And all at once, everything just took shape. Mm. And I had the best year I've ever had in my life. But that's how you've got to do it. Mm. You know, you got to put the work in. You've got to put the time in. Mm. And you've just got to start climbing. Rebecca and I got to be at your benefit that you do annually Mm. in Nashville. And to watch. So special. You know, you orchestrate this beautiful evening of some of the biggest music stars yes. singing their songs to people that have created these beautiful programs on the ice. Yes. Um, cool, isn't it? It's so beautiful. It's fun. such an it's art so form. Fun. I just, I really go to see you on the ice. But. I know. And, and then, <laughs> but then afterwards, this dinner with a thousand people at tables, like Rebecca and I didn't quite know. Yeah, we're like, how, yeah, we'll come. So that hundred people, amazing. hundred people are having dinner after the show. No, no a thousand, thousand people, people. They've flown in from all over the world. Mm-hmm. They're there to support Just, this vision of helping our world become cancer-free and yeah. all that you've worked to create an imagination for people to go, we're going to climb this together. Because so many of us have lost, I've lost a mother to cancer. We've we've seen the damage of this disease and it feels so overwhelming. Everybody feels that. Like, I don't, I feel helpless. I feel like stagnant. And what you say to everybody is, no, we're going to climb. We're going to we're going to step into this and we're going to fight for it and we're going to keep doing more research and we're going to keep finding new ways to treat that that don't harm human beings and help them mm. and it's just an, it was an incredible testament that night and Rebecca yeah. and I were just overwhelmed yeah. with like joy for the way you have stepped into this and allowed God to guide you and to continue to be brave and courageous. Yeah. It's just a remark because you're 25 years now, right? Since 26. That, 26 years since you were first diagnosed with cancer. Yeah. Unless you want to do the math for me. No, I, 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 I think I, you got it right. You know, but it, it, it's kind of like, you know, I, I went into the chemo um, fascinated. I, it's like, what is this going to, you know, like how, because I, I, I told the doctors, I go, I'm coachable. <laughs> That's <laughs> Like I'm, co- you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Because I'm, I just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. Because at that point I build enough muscle of getting through different things that you know I just figured this was just another thing. Little did I know, um, it was it was hard, and in mm. that I learned a lot of things. Right. But it it was my mom. You know, memories of her saying, "Oh, this chemo. I finally found a lo- way to lose all this weight." Mm. You know, and she was so positive in the fight that I mean, mm. that's what I got to do. And so when I when I lost her, I became a fundraiser. And then when I went through cancer, I realized just how many gaping holes there was in the cancer community. And the fact that there was no chance for her. She, she didn't have a chance. From yeah. day of diagnosis, it was over because mm. there was no treatment for her. Mm. But I'm here 26 years later because two guys in Indiana figured it out. Wow. That's what research does. Mm. Yeah. So yeah. I lose person in my life that I love the most in two years of hell that she went through. And I'm here 26 years later, mm. 
because of two guys that got funded. So yeah, I think I might start funding people, you know. <laughs> Sounds like, like your cancer got sponsored as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it's like the Lord just continued to have, like, to go before you and bring people around. Um, because when you think about, like, just deciding, I'm, I'm, I'm like hearing your whole story again. And like, at, at every juncture, you had to decide if you were going to climb. And something you just said kind of clicked for me that you said I'm coachable. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very necessary ingredient to the climb right? Because usually resignation is like, there's no chance for change, but you're like, no, I am willing to do the work. If you'll guide me, if you'll instruct me, I'm, I'm going to put all that in. Was that there from that first day on the ice when somebody recognized something in you that you were like, Hey, if you're willing to teach me, I'm, I'm willing to learn and keep coming back. You know, it was just, I was a goofy kid and I, 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 you know, it's really wild. Um, I had this big personality and I was fearless and, yeah. you know, all the things that when you go to an ice training, it says, do not, do not, do not. We did every one of those oh, things, yeah. you know, like every session. And it was just, I wanted to be the ice show comedian. My whole life's dream was to be a comedian in an ice show. And, oh my and I just idolized these guys like Kevin Bupp and, um, and Freddie Trankler and, and all these guys that were just, they had these long careers in the ice show, just making people laugh. And I go, if I could ever just, that would be the greatest job in the world. <laughs> and all these people, you know, they just, they remained heroes in my life. Yeah. You know, like first wow. ice show I ever saw was Ice Capades in, um, Boston Garden and wow. Freddie Trankler. What he, to me, I just was like glued. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like when you see a child mm-hmm. and they they're totally transfixed on something and they're locked in and it kind of ignites something in their in their spirit. It's like that's it. Mm-hmm. If I can be on ice skates and make people laugh, oh, that's the greatest job in the world. Yeah. Why wouldn't I do that? Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like with Kevin Bupp. Um, you know, he, he was a local comedian and then he went into the big ice shows and then I got to step in and be the comedian yes. in the local ice shows. And then I was with him a week before he died of lung cancer. Mm. And it's just one of those things where you just, it's just, no, it's like, it's not fair. Mm-hmm. Like everybody deserves to live a full, authentic life mm-hmm. without being cut short by a disease that, you know, ultimately I know is curable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, We just have to make it happen. And how you're talking about the suffering, right? Even it makes sense why you said it's fun. The climb is fun because really, truly like you wanted to make people laugh. You wanted it to be fun. It was fun for you for it to be fun for somebody else. (laughs) And yet you're still layering that with, with suffering. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's kind of the, the crux of the Christian life, like Mm -hmm. pain that ebbs and flows, joy that ebbs and flows. Here's Tracy, my beloved wife, who um, is a great gift. Thank you, Lord. Um, for Tracy, she was doing an interview one time. This is really everything you're talking about is just that. And every time I go in for a scan, because this tumor, it's, it's back now and I don't really acknowledge it. Um, but the first time it came in 2004, it did total brain gamma knife radiation, right? Second time it came back six years later, it was one surgery that turned into nine. Mm. <laughs> Ugly time, bad. And then Six years later, it came back. But every scan, every six, three months, I go in, I go, no matter what I get today for news, I'm going to receive it joyfully. Mm. And so she was doing an interview, and I've never like seen her do an interview before. Mm. So I hid around the corner so I could listen. And they go, okay, talk, let's talk about this joy stuff. All right, really? You're going into a scan, you're going to receive the news joyfully? And she says, oh, 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 no, no. You see, joy isn't a lack of fear and suffering. It's how you go through it. Mm. 
good. She's a good that one. That preaches. She's a good one. No, that preaches in such a big way. And it's like, yeah, come oh, on. Oh, no wonder she's like, she's stuck around. Cause like, you know, I have this, you, mm. I've had a, a unique hobby of collecting life threatening illness, but <laughs> it's just like this thing where it's like, there's no way in the world you can withstand that assault. Yeah. Unless you're going to own and operate it. Mm. Right. Okay, this is my challenge. This is my affliction. This is whatever it is. No, I don't know. That's awesome. Like when I came back from my yeah. ninth surgery summer, like I lost my right eye one day. I woke up and I was blind in my right eye. And I, I just, I got my phone really quietly. I go, can I have the neurologist on call, please? Yeah. I, I woke up and I'm blind in my right eye. Oh, emergency room right now? Okay, I can do that. And I quietly hung up the phone. She goes, what's wrong? And I go, oh, I'm I'm blind in my right eye. You go back to sleep. I'm blind in my right eye and I have to go to the emergency room. She's like, what? And so it was like, I, we get dressed and we're walking over to the emergency room, which is across from the hotel we were staying in because it was the morning after I was released from all of my surgeries. And um, they're like, I thought you'd be in an ambulance. It's like, across the street yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like i walked over it's a, like and she goes, get in here now 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 and it's like huh. so I, I ran in they threw me on a thing they tried to find a vein they couldn't like they killed my money vein which is really a bad thing and then um they filled me full of clot busters and 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 drug and blood thinners and then um they send me up to this room to let all those drugs kind of do the work and then they put their thumb in my eye and they're doing all this stuff to break up whatever mm. was blocking and it's just like this chamber of horrors all at once and then i get up to my room and like this 14 year old kid comes in as the ophthalmologist mm. and it's like doogie <laughs> <laughs> but he was brilliant and i got some of it back um, wow yeah but it's you know it's kind of like that serenity prayer, right? You just have to, some things that you have to accept yeah. and other things you have to yeah. step into. And, and it's just really understanding what you have control over and what you don't. Yeah. yeah. And what you don't have control over, you just got to find a really healthy way of hmm. allowing it to be okay and well, positive in your life. God. What a great story for all of us to get to hear and be encouraged by. You're, you are truly one of the most resilient people we know. Oh, and you've you. built a resilient life that's, a testament to all of us and encourages all of us. I don't know what's coming in my next year or ten years if I'm if I'm allowed to live that long. Are you but, climbing? But yeah, that's yeah. the question, then you'll right? Be fine. Yeah, you just you, <laughs> and you've we given have us you. A, <laughs> and I think sometimes climbing together is what makes it fun oh, too, it's so right? Much like watching you and Tracy uh, just be such champions for each other. I mean, truly, I mean, this enduring together is such a beautiful thing. And, and I, I know I've grown just by being your friend, oh, just yeah. by Thank watching you. you guys in marriage and parenting and life, but even just not even knowing you when all those other things that you were just sharing were happening, knowing like, actually that's what built the character and the formation in who you are today. Well, and I, I can track it now, you know, I'm 64 and I look back I can look back now and I can see where the Lord was every step of the way, whether I acknowledged it or not. Yeah. Every time there was, you know, every time there, mm. I can, I can just, every time yeah. that, that should have not gone the way it did, mm. but it so did. Good. So good. And he was there mm. every time. Mm -hmm. And it's remarkable that once Tracy, you know, sat me down and she said, 
Um, I know we've been dating for a while, but I have to know where you are in your relationship with Jesus. And all I could think to say was, where do you want me to be? <laughs> you know, it's like, but it, it just, it, it allowed me to um, unveil yeah. and just um, release, you know, anything that I've been holding back. And it, it was just beautiful, mm. you know, and yeah. honestly, we all have our own identities. You know, I just happen to be a short, bald guy that wore a lot of spandex, you know, for a long time. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's like, what am I afraid of? Now that I have a relationship with Jesus, nothing. Mm. I'm not afraid of anything. Mm. And, they, you know, the world keeps throwing all this garbage at us. You know, it's just like, you know, step in with strength and power and authority mm. and just whatever season you're about to go through, Go through it. Just mm. keep going. Mm. Yeah. That's Climb. Good. That's Climb. right. <laughs> well, Scott, thank you Take for- Take that with us. Yeah. Thanks for letting us in a little deeper to your oh, I love story you and your journey. And, and I love your ministry. I love how you're changing the world and you're really allowing for people's voices to be heard um, and for perspectives to be just embraced. Mm. And um, I just, the fact that you do that so beautifully together mm. is just, it should be an inspiration to all of us that- um, Marriages are built on on just our pooling our talents mm -hmm. and just really celebrating our individuality and our you know just sort of who we are and and how we can together yeah really make like it's not even just two x <laughs> right it's yeah. like a uh, hundred million x yeah. <laughs> I so, love it it's good thank you thank Scott. you Scott. love you love you too. Well, you can't help but hear that conversation and be inspired, encouraged. Like I said earlier, share this with other people who you know, if they could hear Scott, if he could be in their ear right now, you know it would lift them up. It would give them an opportunity to see what's possible when they keep taking steps forward. Yeah. And as you see in his journey, this is a lifelong journey. And I'm reminded again that resilience is a one and done thing. It's becoming people of resilience, developing a character of resilience that just says, God, um, apart from you, this would never be possible. But because of you, Christ in you, the hope of glory gives you the ability to find your legs and keep going. Yeah. And we want to be the kind of people, and I know you do too, as part of this Rhythms for Life community that continue to bring substance to conversations with your friends and your community and your family that's helping you continue to build a resilient life. Rebecca's book, Building a Resilient Life, I can promise you, is going to be of great encouragement, but also practical application. It's going to give you the tools to lead these conversations in your community, in your small group, in your church, and maybe a women's group that gets together and meets. You're going to find so much substance in here to grapple with, to discuss, to work through. Um, be a part of this community. You, you already are, but be a part of the community that we're hoping to continue to raise up of leaders like you who are going to start conversations off of this, not just read and consume for yourself, but you're going to create the kind of spaces that allow people to explore this in their own life. Rebecca's book, Building a Resilient Life, How Adversity Awakens Strength, Hope, and Meaning is available May 2nd. But when you pre-order, you get access to a couple of really cool things. One thing is emotional health. Mini-series. Yeah, this mini-series that's yeah. going to have Kurt Thompson. Yeah, Bill and Lori Loki are 
licensed therapists that have been walking with us as we build resilience. We want to extend them to you. And so we're tackling topics on three short videos with our just mentors and friends that are going to help you with like understanding the narratives, naming the pain, shifting those narratives, overcoming, and then embracing this with community being tethered together. So I think it's going to be such an encouragement. The other thing is a girl's night in, which... Which I'm not going to participate in that. Everybody's all about a girl's night in though. And it's kind of our way of having a celebration, um, but really talking about how to create flourishing spaces and make meaning and cultivate beauty and name our longing. I think as women, and sometimes we have a hard time naming what we really want and what we desire because we feel like we kind of have to hide or shrink back from that. God wants to meet us even there as he builds that resilience in us. Yeah. And so you can get all of that plus a download of all of Rebecca's favorite scripture verses when you're dealing with anxiety, when you're walking through some of those difficult moments. It's very practical to just keep on your phone. And so you can get all that at RebeccaLyons.com slash RLbook and continue to invite people in to continue this conversation with us. We have many more guests. I think you're going to benefit from so much of their wisdom and insight in the weeks ahead. And so we're just grateful that you're a part of this with us. 